real food is just too expensive. That is a comment that I have received a lot over the years in DMs and emails and uh, in various places whenever I'm talking about food online. I've even said it myself in certain periods of my life. And as someone who has a definite frugal side, as well as a definite passion for eating whole foods, growing whole foods, and this organic food movement, this is naturally uh, an area that I have spent a lot of time thinking about and strategizing upon. So it's high time to talk about it here on the podcast, and I am super pumped for today's episode. I'm going to share some pieces of this that you may or may not have heard of before or thought about around this topic. Uh, first off, I want to dive into why food actually costs more. I mean, it doesn't always cost more, but when we do see those higher prices, what is driving that? Uh, and also, kind of on the flip side of that, how I have come to actually appreciate those higher food costs. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but bear with me. I'm also going to tell you how I have learned how to make run-of-the-mill regular person grocery stores work for me. I don't have a Whole Foods or a Trader Joe's in my community. Um, in fact, I think I've only been inside of a Whole Foods store like one time in my entire life. It was like when I was traveling to Utah or California or something. Uh, so I don't even really know what they have to offer it, but I found they're not a vital part of my organic food strategy. I just don't need them. I've found lots of workarounds and I'll share my tips with you around that. And then lastly, uh, I have a little bit of a soapbox on, on a piece of this topic. So I'm going to save that one for the end. Um, there is a belief, a little bit of a narrative floating around, and sometimes it rears its head when I start to get uh, excited and encourage people to take charge of their food supply. And it's a sneaky belief because it sounds good at face value, but it's actually really, really disempowering. So I'm going to break that down, do some myth busting, and yeah, this should get exciting. So let's do this. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I've helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. Okay, first things first, I want to kind of define expensive. Because what I hear, what I see popping up in response to a lot of the things I say sometimes is real food is just too expensive. I can't afford it. Valid statement. 100%. I get it. So a few little definitions to get clear on before we move forward. Expensive is a word. It's an interesting word, but it is a word that I use sparingly. To me, and this is my perspective and how I think of it, you can think of it however you like, but to me, expensive has this connotation that uh, if I think something is expensive, then it's not worth what is being asked for it, right? So if I say, wow, those jeans are expensive, you know, sometimes when I go jean shopping, it's usually at the feed store and I just need jeans that can handle riding horses and crawling around on the dirt and gardening. So I'm just looking for jeans that look 
halfway decent that will be durable. And so when there's a pair for $80 versus a pair for $350, and really the only difference is the, the label or the brand, I'm like, wow, those $350 jeans are expensive because I don't really see how they are worth that much more than regular jeans, right? So that's how I use the word expensive. And it's usually me saying that I don't feel like it's worth it. When it comes to other things, let's take food, for example, I generally prefer not to use that term, especially when we're talking about organic foods or real food, because when we're paying a few dollars more per pound, let's say for something like uh, locally raised meat versus mass produced slimy tube of meat from Walmart, like there is a definite difference there. The one that you're getting from your local farmer or from the farmer's market, maybe you're ordering it from someone like me online, that meat has better texture, better flavor, better smell, and it's more nutrient dense. So it is an investment into your menus and your health versus the other option that is indeed cheaper. So when I'm, when I'm investing in a product that's higher quality with a higher price, I don't call it expensive. I call it an investment or maybe I have to save up for it longer, whatever, like take my greenhouse, for example, that was a chunk of change. It was not a cheap greenhouse. I couldn't do a cheap greenhouse here because the wind would have blown it over like the three little pigs. So I invested in a good greenhouse with long lasting value. It's going to be around for a long time. I don't consider my greenhouse to be expensive. I consider it to be an investment. Uh, so that's just my way of thinking of it because words matter. The stories we tell ourselves matter. And that's just a perspective shift that's been helpful for me as I've started, as I've changed our diet and our menus over the years, may or may not be helpful for you, but just thought I'd put it out there. Okay. The second piece of this is when I hear this statement, real food is just too expensive. There's a little bit of a false dichotomy here sometimes, not for everybody, but for some folks. See if this is maybe true for you, kind of even subconsciously. So sometimes I feel like people have this all or nothing idea about eating clean or eating whole foods or eating organic, right? And I used to feel a little bit like this um, back in my early stages when we were one income and we had started our businesses and our budget was a lot tighter. You know, I couldn't afford to buy every bit of produce organically. Like I just couldn't. So when I would go to the store and maybe I could afford to buy my lettuce organic, but I didn't really want to pay organic prices for other things. I felt very defeated and I'd kind of be like, what's the point? I'm having clean lettuce, but everything else is conventional, right? And so I, I had a little bit of this false dichotomy that it has to be all or nothing, 100% organic or just not at all. And that's just not true. And I see a lot of people just subconsciously holding on to that. But I want to encourage you, there's a lot of levels in this. There is a lot of gray and there's a lot of ways you can kind of hack the system. And even if you're eating conventional produce, for some things, and you're able to take money or saving elsewhere and put it into better meat or better milk or better eggs, like you're still ahead and I don't want you to feel discouraged. So for me, it's about getting creative, of course, and thinking outside of the box. That is like the essence of homesteading, getting creative, thinking outside the box. And your, your way of doing Whole Foods doesn't have to look like mine or anyone else's. So there's a lot of options here and that's a good thing. Okay. Next topic on my list here is why does healthy food cost more or organic food? This is something um, that, that comes up a lot. People are like, you know what? I have X amount of dollars for my grocery budget every month 
And I can buy a lot more potato chips and Little Debbie snack cakes with that same amount of money than I can apples and, you know, good milk and good meat and good eggs, right? So there's this interesting thing that happens where the food that you would think would cost more, you'd think they would be luxury items, right? The cereals and the 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 breads and the the snack cakes and all of those processed things, um, it, you would think those would cost more, but they actually often cost less. Why is that? Well, there's an interesting story of behind that. And in essence, it's because we're not paying the actual cost for that food. So um, I found a really great article. I'm going to link it in the show notes, but it's from the University of Vermont. And I'm just going to read a section of it to you because they explain it very well, uh, very concisely. And I feel like just reading it would be easier than me bumbling through <laughs> my own explanation. But it's pretty interesting. So Here's what it says. Large-scale farms that manufacture crops like corn and soy receive government subsidies to mass-produce animal feed, which leads to overproduction of these crops. This creates a surplus of corn and soy, which industrial food manufacturers use to produce cheap ingredients like high-fructose corn syrup and soybean oil for highly processed foods. Small farmers operate on a smaller scale with lower net incomes than large industrial-sized farms, and most do not receive the same level of government assistance, yet are faced with the same or even higher breadth of cost to produced food. So taking a break from my reading here, this is, this is Jill talking, you have smaller farmers, right, smaller producers who are having to produce the same thing with similar cost, they don't have the subsidies potentially coming in on the back end to help their uh, cost of production be lower. So they're having to charge what they actually have into it, where potentially some of those other um, growers or manufacturers, those big conglomerates, they're able to charge much, much less and still sort of kind of come out ahead, right? Okay, back to my article. When it comes time for a local farmer or food business to sell their food, Many products are priced below the cost to actually produce it, leaving farmers and producers struggling to turn a profit. The closer local products are priced to cover production costs and for the farmer to make a profit, the more consumers balk at the cost. And who can blame us when we have mouths to feed and bills to pay? Even more challenging is that local farmers are trying to sell to consumers who are used to cheap food prices and are likely unaware they're actually footing the bill at tax time for the government subsidies which industrial agriculture receives. Consumer tax dollars help keep corn and soy prices low, which allow corporations to create highly processed foods on the cheap, leading to rising food-related public health crises such as rising obesity rates. When you think about comparing prices between local food and mass-marketed, highly processed commodity food, consider the following. Farm subsidies authorized by the federal government's farm bill, are costly to the taxpayer. According to the Congressional Budget Office, total government aid to farmers is estimated to reach $23 billion in 2017. This article is a few years old. Uh, Additionally, from 1995 to 2014, the government spent $322 billion in farm subsidies, with $183 billion of that going to commodity programs that support corn and soy production. So, You are either paying for that cheap food at the grocery store or you're paying for it with your taxes. And it's just interesting, right? Because when you look at processed foods, what do you see on the labels? You see corn, 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 soy, 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 high fructose corn syrup. And it's not because those make a superior product, right? All these foods don't 
need to have soy in them by default to make this item. They're using soy and corn because it's cheap and it's a filler. And so that is why these highly processed foods are cheaper. Not really cheaper, right? They, they're cheaper maybe in dollars and cents, but they cost us more at tax time. They cost us in our health and they cost us in their environmental impact. So it's an unnatural system. It is not sustainable. It cannot go on forever, but that's where we find ourselves. And that is why we have this, I think, a slightly skewed perception as Americans of what food actually costs. And if we were actually paying the true cost of those snack cakes and those potato chips fried in the cheap oil, like we would probably not be buying as many of them because it would be a little more ouch on the pocketbook. So interesting, right? Also, maybe a little disheartening to know, it almost feels like the system is a little bit stacked against you as the consumer who's trying to make better choices. But I am here to reassure you that we have options. You are not locked into this. And just because if you're on a tight budget, um, you might not be able to afford to shop at Whole Foods every month, doesn't mean you still can't make good choices and skip all the subsidized commodity, cheap processed foods that are really hurting your health and costing you more that way in the long run. This episode is sponsored by us. We are so excited to be kicking off the launch of our brand new beef business, Genuine Beef Company, and we're now able to ship our Wyoming raised beef nationwide. This is beef that we have raised ourselves. It doesn't come from overseas like a lot of the grass-fed beef you see on the market. It's grass-fed and grass-finished, dry-aged to perfection, and processed in a USDA facility where it is vacuum sealed for maximum freshness. We now have ground beef, roast steaks, and all sorts of different bundles available. All you have to do is go online, order, and we'll ship it straight to your doorstep. Head on over to genuinebeefco.com to see what we have to offer or follow us over on Instagram, genuinebeefco, for recipes, tips on cooking grass-fed beef, the latest flash sales, and a view of what it's like to ranch out on the wide open Wyoming prairie. Plus, if you use code PODCAST, you'll save 10% on your order. And now, back to our episode. A few perspective shifts here that have been really helpful for me. The first thing to consider when you're trying to keep your real food or slash whole food grocery budget lower is you can kind of shift what your perspective is of a meal. So let me explain. Um, how do I want to, how do I want to describe this? Basically meals don't have to be as complicated as you might think. And sometimes like if, if we're doing a lunch or even a breakfast, like it can be so, so simple. It doesn't have to be five courses. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be this, everything you make from scratch is complicated and has five different uh, levels and layers and steps. Like it can be very basic. Like for us, sometimes a whole food breakfast and quote unquote organic breakfast is scrambled eggs. The end. <laughs> scrambled eggs. Like it takes me less time to scramble an egg than it takes to sit in a drive-thru at a restaurant for a breakfast sandwich, right? Um, I, I realize it's not as snazzy as a breakfast sandwich from McDonald's, but it's better for you. And it's super fast and very affordable. So if you can just simplify things down, um, it can get a lot easier. You know, lunches for my kids, they love a snack plate, which can mean a couple pieces of, of you know, some different vegetable options, some different fruit options, maybe a chunk of, of cheese, maybe um, some pepperoni or a little bit of 
a meat that I have left over from night the night before. And like, they're really happy with that. So it doesn't have to be organic sandwich bread with organic peanut butter and organic jelly with organic potato chips. Like you can do that. That's fine. But you could also just really, really, really keep it simple and keep those foods still whole and affordable. So that would be my first tip. Um, my other tip would be that there are going to be aspects of a whole food grocery list that are going to just cost more. Um, good meat is going to cost more than cheap icky meat. Good eggs are going to usually cost a little more um, if you're buying them than the really cheapo factory farm eggs. Good milk is definitely going to cost more. Raw milk is going to cost a lot more than your gallons of factory farm dairy milk. So if you are buying those things and not yet able to grow them yourself, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but let's say you're just still buying all those options. There's ways to save on your grocery budget in other categories that free up more of uh, those finances to potentially invest in that better meat. Maybe you do eat less meat. You know, maybe you cut down so you're eating less burgers and meatloaf um, and steaks, and you're using some beans or some um, more affordable protein options so you can afford that better meat. Um, but there, there is definitely ways to still be able to afford it and not break the bank. So one thing that I learned when I was a young mom on a very, very tight budget was that if I could hone my skills in the kitchen, it saved me a lot of money. And that's ultimately why I wrote the cookbook that I did, right? That my prayer homestead cookbook is the um, effects of a decade of me learning how to make things in the kitchen first to save money. And then second, I didn't even realize that how much better it was for us. That was kind of a side effect I didn't pick up on until later. But um, skills go a long way. Skills save you a lot of money. So I want to share a few prices. I did a little bit of a, a breakdown comparison from the prices at my local grocery store. So get this, a five pound bag of potatoes, just regular old russet potatoes is, when I did the math, it's 49 cents a pound. Okay. Pretty normal. When you compare that to a bag of frozen French fries, the kind that have, that are, you know, the vegetable oils in them and you just bake them or fry them, whatever. They've got all the preservatives. Those are $1.50 per pound. Okay, so you're, it's three times more to buy a bag of frozen french fries than it is to just buy a bag of potatoes. Now, compare that to the flake instant potatoes. I call them soap flake potatoes, and I honestly just think they're gross. I just can't do flake potatoes. I'm from Idaho. It's just like a thing for me. They just really bother me. But anyway, but um, I know a lot of people buy the instant potatoes because they think it's hard to make mashed potatoes. But if you're buying instant potato flakes, those are $4 a pound. That's, that's a huge increase. Now that to me is expensive. You're paying a lot for convenience. So if you're on a budget, I would stick with the 49 cent a pound grocery store potatoes in the bag. And then you can turn those into mashed potatoes. That's really easy. You could cut them up and do oven fries. You could even um, fry them yourself in some coconut oil or some tallow. That's an affordable fat that you can do yourself or some lard. And you have those French fries and you've saved a considerable amount of your budget. Let's uh, let's try cereal, okay? Cereal is a popular standard American food item. Um, 
when I, I know there's a lot of different cereals, but when I broke down just kind of your, I think it was cinnamon toast crunch, kind of your uh, run of the mill breakfast cereal, it came in at 29 cents an ounce. Compare that to uh, rolled oats. That's what we get. Um, those were 14 cents an ounce. So that's a whole food, right? Um, a lot of oats are gluten-free. So if you're gluten-free, that's a great option. I realize some of you are saying, okay, Jill, yeah, but rolled oats don't taste like cinnamon toast crunch. And my kids definitely will know the difference. I understand that 100%. Um, it does take a little bit of a, uh, an adjustment in the palate, right? But there's still a lot of things you can do to jazz up that oatmeal um, to make it a little more exciting. Cinnamon, of course, um, brown, a little bit of brown sugar. You can get the organic or the sucanat. You could add raisins or, or whatever fruit you have in season, dried fruit, fresh fruit. Um, there's a lot you can do. And maybe when you add in those, those extra items, it brings the price up a little bit. But even then, you're still matching the price of the cereal or you're still under that 29 cents an ounce. And it's way better for you. It's a lot healthier. Um, one more option here, just doing some price crunching. I priced out a bag of frozen organic vegetables. Like, um, it was packaged in this thing. It was like an, called an easy side. I guess you just put water in. I don't know. You put water in the bag and you microwave or something. I don't know. Uh, but it was supposed to be a convenience item as, as to how it was labeled. That one was 19 cents an ounce. When I compared that to a bag of organic carrots, like the fancy organic carrots, those were only six cents an ounce. So yes, I realize you have to peel the carrot, cut up the carrot and potentially boil it or roast it if you wanted to. Otherwise you just eat it raw and raw is often better for you because it retains more nutrients, but that's a considerable savings. That's um, almost three times more to buy the frozen organic vegetables versus organic carrots that have more nutrients. So there's another example, and I know that would be true with a lot of other vegetables as well. So a little bit of convenience that we're subtracting there, right? It takes a little effort to peel a potato. It takes a little effort to peel a carrot. It takes a little effort to cook up oatmeal, although not much. Oatmeal is so, so darn fast. My kids make it themselves. And we don't get instant oats. We just get rolled oats and you just put water in it, pinch of salt and heat it up. And it's, it's super fast. So I realize you are subtracting a little convenience, but you're increasing the nutrient of those nutrient value of those foods, better diet, better for you. You're going to feel better. Um, and it's costing you less. And so for me, what I always would do is take that money I was saving by from scratch cooking and doing things myself, and then apply that towards those food items that, um, I needed to invest in. So like for me, a big one was salt. It's always been salt. And you guys know I love real salt. I buy 25 pound bags of their salt. It tastes better. It has more nutrients in it. Um, it's just a all around vastly different than your store-bought table salt. So I can't grow salt here, <laughs> but buying it in bulk saves me a lot of money. And then I'm able to take, you know, the money that I would be saving from the things I, I'm not buying processed versions of and put that towards buying better salt, buying um, better meat and milk and eggs. Although I grow those things myself now, but it can be done. It just takes that little bit of creativity. So that is my, my best, I guess, advice, if you will, for someone, if you're, if you are balancing that budget and as far as 
regular old grocery stores go. Like that's like I said earlier, that's all I have to work with. And so I feel like there is no shame whatsoever in just sounds so cliche, but shopping the outer edges of that store, staying away from those middle aisles as much as possible. And if you can't afford the official certified organic produce or versions of certain foods, I know this is a little bit controversial. People have different opinions. I I'm like, you know what, if you're still just buying whole foods, even if it's not certified organic at this point, I still feel like you are heads and tails above someone who's eating a super processed diet. So don't beat yourself up. I mean, obviously I feel like if you can grow it yourself, that's ideal, but that's not reality for every single person. There's plenty of things that I cannot grow no matter how committed I am, no matter how nice my greenhouse is. I'm never going to do avocados, citrus, or bananas. Like I just don't see it in my future. And so I have no, you know, there's no shame in buying those things. Sometimes I get them organic. Sometimes I don't, it just kind of depends. And so that's why when I, I wrote my cookbook, I included that good, better, best scale in there of ingredients because I just don't like the all or nothing mentality. Um, I feel like if there's, there's gotta be some allowance for doing the best you can. And if all you can afford is non-organic butter and, but you're buying that instead of margarine, like good on you. Good job. That's awesome. That's a great baby step. And then maybe someday you buy organic butter and then maybe someday you have your own milk cow or you buy it from a local farmer, but not all of those changes will happen at once and that's okay. So, okay. 23 minutes so far. I, I want to get on my soapbox for just a minute here. Whew, okay. Here we go. So I posted over on Instagram, actually it was a Twitter post and I then shared it on Instagram and I talked about, um, how everything is hard in some way, shape or form. Right. And it's about choosing your hard. And I can't remember exactly what I said. I'm not, I don't have, I'm not going to pull it up and make you wait for me to find it. But it was something like, you know, growing your own food is hard. Um, having to hunt down food at the grocery store is hard. Um, paying higher prices and dealing with supply chain shortages is hard. You know, choose your heart. That was the essence of my post. And my point was, is that, um, yes, it takes effort to source from local farmers. It takes effort to plant vegetables. Absolutely. You're going to be sweating. You're going to be rolling around in the dirt. You're going to be calling around to find people who have what you need. It takes effort. But it also, for me, I think it takes effort to go to the grocery store. Maybe effort's the wrong word, but I don't like the feeling of going to the grocery store and having empty shelves. And I don't like the feeling of reading news articles about supply chain shortages and wondering, whoa, am I going to be able to get what I need? Um, I don't like knowing that the prices are drastically going up and feeling like I'm a sitting duck. With my personality, that also feels hard. So I choose personally the hard of, I'm going to plant vegetables and I'm going to do what I can with these alternative methods of procuring food and kind of circumvent the system. So that was the post, but I, and it got amazing response. Like it went viral almost over on Instagram. I did get a few interesting comments and this happens every so often. People will respond to posts like that and say things like, you know, that's not a considerate thing to say because, um, good food is a luxury and especially trying to tell people that they should grow food themselves is also inconsiderate because not everyone can do that. And it's a luxury to be able to grow your own food. So I had a couple of these comments come in and I always sit with them. I, I don't think the people were ba badly intentioned. I think it was just their paradigm. Um, here's my thoughts on this. Cause I thought I've been thinking about this for a while. 
is growing food a luxury? That is the question. Yes and no. Can, can growing food or homesteading be done in a super fancy kind of um, hobby sort of way where you have chandeliers in your chicken coop and cute little raised beds and you're spending extra time and money on that just because it's something that's a hobby for you and you're going all out? Yeah, it, it can be. And I would say that is somewhat of a luxury and there's nothing wrong with that. If you choose to spend your, your money and your time on that, great. That's fantastic. But I think there is a little bit of this perception that homesteading is always going to be that. And it, that's not the case. If you think about it throughout history, the people who are growing food in little patches of soil, like that was the lower income people doing that. And, it, and if we look at how, how history is, has uh, flowed and the, the different forces that have changed and driven things like there were many times in America's history and, and world history where the lower income people were the people growing the food. And it was almost considered like if you were high class, you didn't do that. So it's kind of funny to me to think of now the story is that if you are, uh, if you have more disposable income, that's the only way you can grow food. Cause it's just really backwards to what we've seen across history. Generally it's the peasants who are growing food. And so I just think that's an interesting contrast. Um, I know we went to Bulgaria and Romania a number of years ago, and we were driving along the countryside. And even in the cities, I noticed how many people had gardens, beautiful gardens, amazing gardens. They'd have these tiny little houses in town, these tiny backyards, and they'd have these beautiful gardens. And I asked someone and they said, yes, that's left over from the communist era when there was such a shortage of food and there, and everyone was so poor, everyone grew gardens because that's how they survived. And so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of this being really, this idea of growing food is something that is definitely not reserved for people who have a lot of disposable income. Now, that being said, you know, everyone has a different story. Everyone has different challenges. And I am definitely not disputing that. Not everyone is living in Wyoming, even in, in, in town in Wyoming, where there's maybe more freedom to have a chicken in your backyard in town or a garden in your front yard. I get that. And I realize there are places where it's much more difficult to even find a patch of dirt to stick some seeds in. So I'm not discounting that we all have different stories and different struggles whatsoever. But what I dislike is this idea of, you know, of telling people that, well, if you live in the inner city, you're just kind of up a crick, like there's nothing you can do. Or if you live in this certain town or in this certain situation, there's just nothing you can do. I just, I don't like that. And it's incredibly disempowering, I believe, to tell anyone in any situation, they're basically powerless and they're just at the victim or they're just at the mercy of a system. I just don't roll like that. So um, I do know that I, I mean, I'm, I have never lived in the inner city. I cannot say I can speak to those challenges exactly, but I do know there are many examples of folks who have done incredible things with rooftop gardens or container gardens or fire escape gardens or planting food in old five gallon buckets. And, you know, are they going to be able to grow 100% of their groceries themselves? No, but that's not the point. The point is you're doing something, right? You're growing some vegetables, you're growing some lettuce in your 
um, southern facing window, you are banding together with the people in your apartment complex and finding a place to have a community garden. Like that's happening and that is possible. And while, you know, I don't have the challenges that someone living in the inner city has, I have different challenges, right? We all have our own sorts of challenges. Um, my challenge is Wyoming is likely one of the worst places in the United States to grow, to grow vegetables. Like it's ridiculous. Um, you know, we have, we have horribly short growing seasons. I have hail and wind. When we started our homestead, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have any infrastructure. I didn't have a garden plot on our scrubby little fixer upper property that I had scraped our pennies together to buy. I didn't have anything. Uh, and so we had to fight and scrape and blood, sweat, and tears are way to where we are now. So I, I understand the struggle and my struggle might not be your struggle, but I understand the struggle. I was definitely not born with a homesteading silver spoon in my mouth. Um, but we can all do something, even if it's something small. And even if it's not even growing 10% of our own food, maybe it's just growing 1% of our own food. There's a shift that happens when you start to take charge of that. Even if it's a pot of basil in your window, it's a really good thing for us humans. Like it, it gives us confidence. It gives us a sense of freedom. It gives us a sense of possibility. Uh, it's good for our mental health when we're playing with soil and immersing ourselves in nature, even if it's just some lettuce sprouts in the windowsill, it's a really good thing. And so that's why you'll hear me continually encouraging people, no matter where you are, you can do something. And I will be your biggest cheerleader because everybody has a choice. Um, even in the inner city, even if you have a full-time job or a couple jobs, even if you have a bunch of kids, you know, it's not about guilt or shame or you should do this, or you should do that, or you're lesser of a citizen if you don't. That's never, ever the message I hear any homesteader sharing. Uh, but it is about empowerment, and it is about taking charge of your situation. And all I know is if you take charge of it in a little way, in a baby step, or you are taking big leaps and bounds, regardless, it feels amazing. And you may not be able to grow a garden, but you could always get to know your local food networks instead. Uh, you might not have a plot of yard in your backyard, but maybe you know someone who does, or you can take that little abandoned corner lot and talk to the powers that be and turn it into a community growing area. You may not be able to afford organic French fries, but you can buy a five pound bag of potatoes and cook them up yourself. And you might not be able to afford fancy grass fed meat, but that doesn't mean you have to be stuck buying TV dinners either. There's a lots of in-betweens and lots of other paths you can take. So whew, there you go. That was my sermon, friends, for today. Um, I love possibility and I love seeing how people overcome obstacles and struggles and their unique situations to make those dreams happen anyway. So that is what I will always be cheering for. And I know for a fact that um, you know, real food, it's definitely going to be something you get to be creative around for wherever you live and whatever your budget is. Um, but there's always a workaround and there's lots of possibility. So I think it's fun to play with. And like I've said many times before, if you want to get into this homesteading lifestyle or this old fashioned on purpose way of thinking of things, the very best place to start is food. Everything starts in the kitchen. Uh, it's going to build your confidence. It's going to build your skill set. 
It's going to prepare you for, you know, if someday you do get more property or you do have connections to a farm, you're going to know what to do with that food. Um, and it's going to make you feel better in the process. And especially right now, there's no better investment you could make than beefing up your own health and your immune system and taking care of your body. So it's a good, good thing to spend time and energy on and money all the way around. So there you go. Um, what else, what else do I want to say to you? I think that's everything I have for you today. Enough, (laughs) enough preaching. Um, Hey, if you want to follow me over on Twitter, I'm just playing around over there. Um, I've kind of found it's a neat place. There's a lot of smart people over on Twitter. You can follow me at it. My handle is at homesteader. So come on over there. If you're into Twitter, if you're not, no worries. Uh, but yeah, that's everything for today. If you would like to join my email list, you can do so over at theprairiehomestead.com slash grow, G-R-O-W. I email about once a week, not not crazy amounts. And I send free resources and stuff we've been working on and updates on the YouTube channel and the blog post. So come on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash grow. Thanks for being here, friends. I appreciate you. I appreciate your enthusiasm. And we will chat again on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. (laughs) 